Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires. Good morning, everybody. Um, my name is Rob, and I am not one of the pastors here. <laughs> the man who is the, one of the pastors here, Pastor Barrett, is on a well-deserved vacation, and we hope that you'll come back next week and hear the continuation of this eight-part sermon series that we're on uh, that's based on Celebrate Recovery principles that are founded on the Beatitudes. Uh, would you all start out with prayer with me? Heavenly Father, we just come before you, and we're thankful for an opportunity to come into your house today. Lord, would you just fill us with your spirit, the spirit of truth and the spirit of understanding. And Lord, help us to learn today. Lord, help us to study and show ourselves approved, workmen who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. We've been in the past five weeks in a sermon series that deals with principal recoveries in the Celebrate Recovery Program. And uh, the past five weeks, we have focused on basically things that involve ourselves. We've had to realize that we were not God, that we were powerless to control our tendencies to do the wrong thing, that our lives were unmanageable. We had to, real, we had to earnestly believe that God exists and that we mattered to him and that he had the power to help us recover. We had to make a conscious decision to choose to surrender our lives to Christ and also to surrender our will to him every day. We had to make a confession to ourselves of the things that we'd done wrong. We also had to confess it to God and one other person. And then we had to voluntarily submit to any and every change that God wanted to make in our lives. If you haven't heard all of the sermon series that Pastor Tom and Barrett have done, I encourage you to go back and download the ICC app on your phone. If you already have the app, you can actually listen to these. We've covered a lot in the last five weeks, and typically in the Celebrate Recovery Program, I am a part of Celebrate Recovery Program here, uh, and that's why they asked me to do this message today. But in the Celebrate Recovery Program, it typically takes eight months to do what we've covered in five weeks, so we've been kind of like on a crash course. Today, we're kind of changing gears a little bit. And the focus is less on what is dealing with you as a person. And we're going to kind of shift gears and talk about relationships. But before we do that, there's a verse that Barrett and Tom have covered from Isaiah every week. And I want, to, I want us to look at that verse. It says, I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of lips. Before... Barrett brought this verse up. I had not encountered this verse. I don't remember it, but I'm glad that he is starting out with it. He's headlining with it, and I chose to headline with it today because it really, I think, is emblematic of God's heart for all of us. He sees us, and he knows that we need healing, but he not only knows that we need it. He says, I will heal him, and not only is he going to heal us, but he's also going to restore comfort to us He's going to lead us. And I don't know about you, but I had people in my life when I wasn't living right, and I know that they were in mourning for me. 
you know, I know that, you know, I had parents and friends who, you know, were just really in mourning because of the way that I lived. And what's so great about God is he says, I'm not only going to get, restore comfort to you, I'm going to restore comfort to those people who are mourning for you. We serve a great and awesome God. And uh, so let's get right into uh, the lesson. We're on principle six, and all these principles have a beatitude verses that are associated with them. And you find the beatitudes in Matthew chapter five. And the principle that we're looking at today is principle six. And principle six says, evaluate all my relationships. So again, we're focusing on relationships with other people, not necessarily ourselves. And it says, offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm I've done to others, except when to do so would harm them or others. The two beatitude verses that are associated with this principle are Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful, and Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. So getting right into this, let's, let's, the first part of this is offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me. Now, how many of you in here have been hurt by people before, okay? And all of those who didn't raise their hands, I know you're the ones that are causing hurt to all the rest of us, okay? If you're sitting in here, we know, I mean, we've all been hurt, you know? Some of us have been hurt more than others. Uh, we've all experienced different kinds of hurt. But we need to move into a position where we can give forgiveness. And I know some of you may be saying, well, you know, I'm not going to give, I'm not going to forgive you don't know what that person or what they did to me. And I know in a crowd this large, we probably have people in here, you may have been molested, you may have been abused. You, you may be in a situation now where it's like that. You may have been abandoned. And if that describes your situation, let me tell you that I, I, I feel for you and my heart is with you. But Jesus understands the hurt that you've gone through more than I ever could. And we're going to see from the scripture verses why you need to move yourself in a position where you can forgive other people. It's really important. And then there are also some steps that you can take in order to carry that out. Now, when I'm doing this, it kind of sound, it's almost going to sound like a self-help program, but this is not a self-help program, okay? That's not what this is about. This is about having an encounter with Jesus and letting Jesus heal you. And not everybody needs a step study program to get healing, but I did. And if you do, I encourage you to listen up and even come to Celebrate Recovery on Friday night because uh, the, the Lord, I wasn't healed through Celebrate Recovery, but the Lord used that to heal me and to help me. So let's look at offering forgiveness to those who have hurt me. Why do I have to do that? Why should I forgive someone? That's counterintuitive. If somebody hurts you, it means they don't like you. So why... Should we offer forgiveness? And the first reason that I should offer forgiveness to somebody's hurt me is because God has forgiven me. You know, the scripture says that we've all sinned and God hates sin. And so, but he has provided a mechanism through giving his son to us to die on the cross. And if you have accepted Jesus in your life and you've made him Lord of your life, the scripture says that you, your sins are forgiven. If you're sitting out here and you don't know what I'm talking about, then I encourage you to talk with me after the service because you need Jesus. Everybody in here needs Jesus. And, but if you have Jesus in your heart and you have accepted him and you have made him and confessed him as Lord of your life, 
God has forgiven you of sins and you can come into his presence. And look at what Colossians 3.13 says. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So Jesus, uh, Paul is acknowledging here. He's saying, look, people are going to mess with you. You're going to get hurt. You're going you're to have grievances, you know. But he's saying you've got to get into, you've got to realize that God forgave you and that you need to forgive others as God forgave you. What's the second reason that I should forgive those who hurt me? Well, the reason, the second reason is because it's unhealthy not to forgive. You can look up online resentment, anger, grudges, and there's been a number of studies done by, by universities and people that are a lot smarter than I am. And what those studies show is that resentment is one of the worst emotions that you can hold on to. It can make you physically ill and mentally ill. And I really think that that's a big reason why there's so much violence in this world and in this country today is that people get resentment. 40%, I heard, of the, of the uh, arrest and, in Memphis and the police calls are in response to domestic violence. It's people who... They, they get in and they, they get grudges and they get going again and they can't forgive each other. And it, it, it moves people. And, and if you already are mentally ill or have a physical illness and then you have these grudges and have this anger and you won't release it, it's going to make it worse. So it's not healthy to hold on to anger and resentment. It's just not. There's a third reason that I should forgive those who hurt me. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their sins, your Father will not forgive you. That's pretty clear. If we don't forgive other people, our ability to get forgiveness from God is blocked. In the Beatitude verse that I read, at the beginning, blessed are the merciful. I didn't read out the second part of it, Matthew 5, 7. But it says, blessed are the merciful. Why are they blessed? Because they shall receive mercy. And if you want mercy, you can get it. But if you want it, you've got to get it now. If you want forgiveness, you can have it. But you've got to get it now. The Bible says that whatever things are bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever things are loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. And we've got to move ourselves into a position where we can offer forgiveness to other people. Because if you don't, you're not going to get forgiveness because there's something wrong with your heart on the inside. If you, if you can't forgive other people, you've got a heart problem. And it's very clear. And Jesus is saying the Heavenly Father is not going to forgive you if you can't forgive other people. So how do we go about doing this? Practically speaking, how do we... How, can we move? Well, first of all, you've got to rely on Jesus. I'm going to give you some steps that I used in the Celebrate Recovery Program, but I'm telling you, if you try to do this on your own, you're going to fail. You know, it's only through our higher power, Jesus Christ, that we're going to have an ability to forgive other people. But the first step that you should do is to reveal your hurt. Reveal your hurt. You know, a lot of times, Somebody does something to you and you resent it or it makes you angry, but they don't even realize they did anything to you. 
that made you, that, that upset you, you know? So uh, you got to tell people, you know? And the other thing of it is, you know, if somebody's, you know, is abusing you or whatever, you need to stand up and say, look, you know, I mean, this is, this is hurting me. You say, well, Rob, where do you get this from? Well, look at what Luke 17 verse 3 says. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. We have an affirmative duty, not just to sit around and just take abuse, you know, not to be punching bags. No. If somebody's hurting you, you have an affirmative duty to say, hey, you know, you stepped outside your bounds, and, and this, is, this is hurting me. And uh, it says, if they repent, forgive them. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, what if they don't repent? Do I not have to forgive them? And I'm going to answer that just in a little bit, but hold on to that thought. So we do need to reveal our hurt. And there's sometimes where you also don't need to approach people, and I'm going to cover that too in just a moment. <clears throat> but in general, even if you don't approach the person, you need to at least admit that you've been hurt. You need to quit trying to bury it and say, well, I'm just, you know, like if I'm a guy, I'm going to man up. You know, this doesn't really bother me. But yet you keep thinking about it. So yeah, you are hurt. And you need to be honest about your feelings, whether you go to the person or not. So what's the second, after we reveal our hurt, what's the second step? We have to release our offender. Um, Look at what Peter asked Jesus. He said, uh, Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Some translations say 70 times seven, which is 490. So when I read that, I, I looked it up. And what, what the scholars all agree is Jesus is not saying 77 times, and he's not saying 490 times. He's saying every time that that person forgives you, you've got to be in a continual mode where you have a forgiving heart because that's what God does to us. Every time that we sin... The, the scripture says in John, 1 John 1, 9, that if we will confess our sins, he's what? He's faithful and just to forgive us. Yeah. And we've got to have the same kind of heart. But now let me stop here and put some balance to this. Okay. Uh, so I know a lot of you are thinking, you know, Peter, I think, was having somebody that was probably, I don't know what they were doing, if they were popping him in the mouth or, you know, if, they were, if he was being verbally abused. But He's asking, God, he's asking Jesus, you know, how many times have I got to forgive him, you know? And there's a difference between forgiving somebody and accepting their conduct, okay? So there may be some of you in here, and maybe you're in a situation where you're subjected to violence, or you're subjected to abuse, or you're subjected to danger, or maybe if not you, Maybe it's someone that you're responsible for. You know, I heard on TV yesterday morning about a little three-year-old boy in Arkansas who was beaten to death by a boyfriend of the mother. You know, now she was responsible for that child. You know, I don't know if there's anybody in here that's in a situation like that, but let me tell you, you don't have to accept offensive conduct. There's a difference between that, okay? Ultimately, you do have to forgive Yes, but if you're in a position where you're being subjected to offensive conduct, you need to get into a safe place. You know, you need to go, you may need to press charges. You may need to get a restraining order. You may need to move. Now, if you're married to somebody, that that complicates it a little bit, but basically, if you're being subjected to violence, it's perverted for somebody to accept abuse like that, 
It's a perversion. And Jesus doesn't say if they pop you in the mouth, let them pop them, let them pop you again. He says, but you've got to forgive them. So what you've got to do is you've got to move into a safe place. And, you know, you may need help with that. You may not be able to do that on your own. And that's part of what Celebrate Recovery is for, for people who need help with stuff like that. Not everybody needs help, but some people do need a program. Some people do need a group of supporters. And we don't heal people. Jesus heals people. But we support each other and we help each other. But you've got to release your offender. In a practical way, I think part of how this comes up in my life is that when somebody hurt me, a lot of times my mind will replay painful memories from the past. Does that ever happen to anybody? You know, you get hurt and it doesn't happen again, but your mind replays things that happen to you. So when that happens, you, I'm still hurt by it, right? Well, I, for, I forgave the person, but what I do in situations like that, and I believe this is biblical, is I pray for that person. I'll get down on my knees and I'll say, Jesus, uh, I release this person. Please don't hold it against them what they did to me. Because Jesus said to bless those that curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. And every time that you have this hurt that comes back, every time I've done that, I release that person a little bit more in my life, you know. And I don't think about it as much. And that's how you release your offender. That's how you release your offender. But again, if you're in a dangerous place, you've got to be safe. Jesus is not saying stay in a dangerous place. And if you are the one of the persons who's doing this to someone in here, I hope that you're not. But if you are, and especially if you're using the Bible by saying, well, I have authority over you and you just have to accept it, you need to stop it. You need to stop what you're doing. Because no, you do not have authority. And one day you will have to answer. You, will, you, will, you may get away with it in this life, but in the life to come you will not unless you repent. Uh, so what is the third step to, to offering forgiveness to others? After you have revealed your hurt, released your offender, the next thing you have to do is replace your hurt with God's peace. And how do you do that? Well, I think I've already explained part of it is you pray for the person and you also, you're kind, you're patient, with them, and it may be that you don't, you have to withdraw and don't go around them. You have to separate yourself from them. That's not easy to do if it's somebody in your family, but sometimes you have to do that. But look at what Colossians 3.15 says. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. You tell me, Rob, am I supposed to give thanks for going through all of this? The word says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. If you look back at the Apostle Paul in, in Acts chapter 16, he and Silas were beaten up and thrown up under the jail in the lowest place where they could go. And what were they doing at midnight? They probably were sore and they probably were bleeding, but they were singing praises to God. And you say, well, that, Rob, that sounds crazy. But I'm telling you, that's what you need to do. You're fighting. You're not fighting against the person. We're fighting a spiritual battle. This is spiritual warfare. And you've got to arm yourself with, a, with spiritual warfare. And part of doing it is singing praises and praying for people that hurt you and blessing those who curse you. And then you will have the peace of Christ in your heart if you do that.
All right. Um, Ephesians 4.32 also says, Be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other, just as Christ's sake he has forgiven you. Now, I want to note something, too. You know, if you, you know, some of you, I mean, I lived 30 years the wrong way. So I had to make amends to a lot of people, and I had to offer forgiveness to a lot of people. But it wasn't possible for me to contact everybody because I had moved all around, and I didn't know where people lived, and some people had actually died. Okay? And uh, also, there are some times where you shouldn't approach people anyway to ask for forgiveness. And what would those circumstances be? Well, you know, if your old girlfriend hurts you and she's now remarried, it might cause more harm than good to go back to her. And if you go back and you look at what Principle 6 says, you offer forgiveness unless when to do so would cause harm to them or others. So sometimes it's best to just let things go, but you have to pray about it and you have to ask God what you should do. And he'll show you. Also, like if somebody's mentally ill that hurts you, maybe they weren't, but maybe they've developed dementia or something and their circumstances have changed. Well, no, you don't approach that person and, uh, you know, go through all of that again because that's just going to make things worse more than likely for them. But you have to ask God to help you and show you what to do. Okay, so now we're going to shift focus. And now that we've learned how to offer forget why we should and how to offer forgiveness to other people, Let's look at making amends for harm that I've done. Again, if, you're, if, you're, if, you, if you don't have some addictive or compulsive behaviors, you know, if, you, if you are really living a Christ-centered life, these things that I'm talking about, you can do on a daily basis. And you may not have to take all of these steps that I'm telling you, but I went for 30 years living the wrong way. And so I had to, I had to live this out. And uh, so... You know, why do we have to make amends to people that we've harmed? That's, that's the first question. Why do we have to do it? Well, the first reason that we have to do it is because God commands that we do it. Look at what the, uh, Jesus said in Matthew. He said, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. And then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying, look, I want you to serve me. And you can give me a gift. That's not going to save you. But after you've been saved, you should be serving Jesus. There should be fruit in your life. And I want you to do that. But let me tell you something. If you've offended people, if you've, if you've stolen from people, if you've lied to people, if you've been unfaithful, if you've hurt people in your life, you got to go back to your family. You got to go back to your friends. You got to go back to the places where you worked. You've got to go back to the people that you've offended. And you've got to make up with them. It doesn't matter how long ago it was, it's an unresolved relationship problem. And you've got to go back and you've got to let me help you make that right. And then, once you've made that right, then you can come and then you can serve me. Then you can come and serve on the third Sunday of every Sunday as a volunteer. Then you can go to the St. Jude. Then you can go to the Glen Mary. Then you can be on a committee. But until you resolve your relationship problems, don't bring me a gift. If I call to remembrance something that you need to do, you need to go make it right. That's what this verse is saying. 
So it's a command. We have to go make amends to people that we've hurt. What's the second reason that we should make amends? Unresolved relationships will ruin your recovery. It'll ruin your recovery. Now, some of you say, well, I'm not in recovery. Well, let me tell you something. Once you get saved, the Bible says in Romans that we are constantly being conformed to the image of Christ. We're being sanctified, and you are in a recovery. You're in a recovery. You may not be the same recovery as me or somebody else, but you're in a recovery. And if you don't make amends to people that you've hurt, it's going to block your sanctification. It's going to affect your recovery. I don't care if you're coming off of drugs or if you've got problems with lust or pornography or uh, if you've got an eating disorder or a gambling addiction or if somebody hurt you in the past, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to deal with it. If you have hurt other people and you have been unfaithful, If you don't go make it right, it is going to block your ability to recover and it will block your sanctification. Look at what the verse in Hebrews says. See to it. Did any any of y'all's parents ever tell you something like that? See to it. You better make sure it gets done before I get home. I had that happen to me and, you know, after I got one whipping one time, I made sure I had the dog fed and the garbage took, taken out and everything before my dad got home. It says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Have you ever tried to pull some crabgrass up and when you pull it up, you know, you get the leaf part, but the roots are still down in there? If the roots are still down in there, you know what's going to happen? It's going to come back. <laughs> you know, you've either got to spray that sucker with some Roundup or you've got to dig it out because if you don't, the root in there is going to grow, grow some ugly crabgrass back. And it's not only going to affect the relationship that you had with the other person by leaving the root there. You know, you may think, oh, that happened 30 years ago. I don't need to, they know, you know, I don't need to make amends for them. They, they've been nice to me. They're not even mad at me anymore. No, there's a root of bitterness there. And the Bible says that you've got to go and you've got to dig that root out. And I'm getting ready to show you some principles, uh, some steps that you can do that. But it will not only ruin your recovery, it's going to affect other people. This says that the bitter root can defile many, not just people that you had the relationship, but other people, other people in church, other people that you know. So it's really important that you make amends. So how do you do this, practically speaking? How does it work out? Well, for me, I had a 30-year history, so I had to make a list of all the people that I hurt. Because for 30 years, I didn't really care how I lived, and it was, just, it was basically all for me, and I just did whatever. So I had to make a list of the people that I had hurt, and I had to put down what I did to them. You know? And I had to make a very detailed list. And some of you may be thinking, well, I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of any, anybody I've hurt. Well, let me, can, let's go over some of these questions. Do you owe a debt that you haven't repaid? Have you broken a promise that you made to someone? Are you guilty of being over-controlling to a spouse, a parent, a child, or a friend? Are you overly possessive 
No, I don't want them coming in here to my house, or I don't want them using my car. I just cleaned it out. You know, do we share with other people the things that Christ has given us, that he's blessed us with? Do we help other people with it? Are you hypercritical? Well, I didn't want Fruit Loops this morning. Where's the fruit? How come we don't ever have any fruit around here? Did you eat all the fruit? You know, we can just be real angry and grumpy in the morning sometimes and at other times. But are you hypercritical when you should be thankful that you've got a spouse that made you some Fruit Loops? <laughs> that at least gave, thought enough of you to give you some breakfast before you went out the door? Are you verbally, emotionally, or physically abusive? Have you been unfaithful to your spouse, to your job, to your church? Somebody, my good friend Kath Drummond, two months ago, she came up to me and she said, uh, would you be in the dragon boat race? And I said, well, what is that? And she said, oh, yeah. She said, it's really uh, good. It's a St. Jude fundraiser. I thought, hey, that would be, that sounds very like something I could do. So I want to do that. I said, when is it? So she told me, May 11th. And I said, okay, so sign me up. Well, when it got around to this week, and I realized that I had 20 court hearings to do, and I had to get prepared for this message, and I'm going to Guatemala next week, and all the stuff that I had to get prepared for, and I realized that I had written a check that what I couldn't cash. That's, that's kind of how I like to say it. I, I wrote a check, and I couldn't cash it. But I knew that I had made a commitment. I knew that I had promised that I was going to do that. So last Sunday at the picnic, I said, Kath, would it be possible that if I could get somebody, if I could ask around and get somebody to substitute for me with that, with, at this point? Because I wanted to make sure that that was okay. And I said, if it's not... I said, I'll be there. I promise you, because I told you I'd be there. I'm going to be there. She said, yeah, it's okay. It's okay if you get a substitute. So I started looking for somebody. Why did I do that? Because I had made a commitment that that was what I was going to do. Let me tell you what Psalms chapter 15 says. It says, who will inhabit the tent of the Lord and who will climb the holy hill? And you look down in verse 4 and it says, he who keeps his word even when it hurts and does not change his mind. That's the person that the Lord's looking for. Have you been unfaithful? I don't know. But if, you've been un if you have been unfaithful to people, if you've made promises and you've not kept them, you need to write it down and you need to go back and you need to make amends to them. Have you lied to someone? I told a white lie. But have you lied to someone? Now, sometimes, you know, we, we don't want to hurt people's feelings. But if you can't tell somebody the truth, it's better not to say anything. But if you've lied to somebody about your conduct, anything you have to cover up is wrong. Okay? If you're covering up something that you're doing and you're lying about it, you need to put that on your list. Have you stolen anything? Have you deceived anybody? Have you cheated anybody? These are all things that you need to put on your list. So once you made your list, then how do you make amends to somebody? What do you do? Well, the guiding principle in making amends is found at Luke 6.31. And Jesus said, do unto others 
as you would have them do unto you. So, you know, if somebody's going to make, make an apology to you, how do you want them to make an apology to you? Mm-hmm. Well, you want them to come to you and you want them to say, okay, uh, you want them to focus on what they did. You know, you don't want to hear excuses about why they did such and such. And that's how you should be. You should go and sincerely apologize to the person. Okay? Uh, when I made apologies, I had to, like, write letters to some people because I didn't have their direct contact information. Some people say, well, can I send a tweet? Well, uh, you know, I mean, I'm going to leave that between you and God, but, you know, would you really like for somebody to send you a tweet? I'm sorry that I, uh, you know, uh, that I cheated on you or, you know, whatever. That, that doesn't really, that's not really sincere. I don't really think that's the, really the right way to do it most of the time. I think the best way for me, I had to, like, call people. I had to go to people in person. I had to write letters to people to apologize. And it needs to be sincere from the heart. And I had to focus on what I did. I had to focus on what I did without excuses because there was no excuse that was good enough to justify it. If you've cheated someone or if you've stolen, you need to make restitution if it's possible. You need to restore what you took. You say, all I did my time, and the court said that, you know, I'm good. You may have paid your debt to society, but let me tell you something. You took something. You cheated somebody out of something. And I'm going to share with you in a little bit what the Word says. The Word says you need to restore what you took, if you can. If it's a big, if it's a big thing that you took, then you may have a harder time doing it. But you need to restore what you cheated someone out of, and what you've stolen, if you can. It's part of a sincere apology. All of this is tempered under the principle we have to look and see whether or not we should actually approach these people to begin with. Because, again, the person may have moved. They could have died. They could now have a mental illness. They could be in a new relationship. And if that's the case, you may do more harm than good by approaching this person and offering forgiveness. Um, So the final point, the final step, is is that after you've made a sincere apology and after you've made amends, then you've got to refocus your life. Now, friends, I'm telling you that, you know, the stuff that we're going through now, the things that you're thinking about, all the turmoil and the struggles that we have with each other, In five years, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, the earth is passing away. And the only thing that's going to remain is if if we're here, we're probably not going to be here in 100 years, but you're going to be in one of two places. And I plan on being in heaven with God. And look at what what, uh, Colossians chapter 3 says, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. So after you've made these amends, after you've made forgiveness, offer forgiveness to people, you've got to set your mind on things above. And the battle of the mind is the hardest, one of the hardest battles that we, we face. And I know some of you may be thinking, well, you know, I, don't, I don't just don't see how I can refocus. I don't see how I can focus on things above. I've got bills to pay. I've got, you know, I've got all these problems. And my response to you is, and the encouragement that I would leave with you as I wrap up here is that you've got to ask Jesus. Because Jesus said, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it will be opened unto you. 
The Heavenly Father will help you if you ask Him and you believe that He will. He really will and He wants to. Remember from Isaiah, it says, I saw His ways and I will heal Him. And part of the healing process is that we've got to set our minds on things that are above. We can't be bogged down. We, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're passing through. And if you've got Jesus in your heart, that's you. And you've got to hold on to that. And you've got to uh, latch on to that. And you've got to trust in him to help you to refocus your mind. So that's principle six in, um, you know, 20 minutes and or so. And uh, um, normally we take two months and celebrate recovery just to go over that. Uh, but that, that's a crash course. But now uh, we're going to go into it like we have in the other messages, going to a time of testimony, and you're going to get a double dose of me today because they, they asked me to do the testimony, so I'm going to ask Pastor Tom to come on up, and uh, uh, Rob, I think I'm on, thank you so much, what incredible teaching, but I know the teaching comes from also your living in this and, and discovering these truths. You mentioned your involvement with the Celebrate Recovery. Give us, give us some more background about that in, in your life. Okay, well, um, I, was, I was raised here in Memphis. Uh, my, both my parents were Christians, and uh, they read Bible stories to us, taught my sister and me to tithe, and uh, we prayed together, ate together, and uh, we're in church every Sunday and a lot of Sunday nights. And uh, uh, when I was six years old in, in the summer of 1969, I walked down the aisle and I invited Jesus to come into my heart. Uh, but at the same time, uh, about this time, probably a little bit before, I, I began to become aware that I was attracted to other boys. Uh, and uh, the older that I got, and of course being in church more, uh, it was really, I was really conflicted spiritually and emotionally by that. And when I was nine years old, I did share with my parents the struggles that I was having. But as I grew into adolescence and then in, as a teenager, I, uh, I isolated myself. And I didn't have a lot of friends. I, I just felt I was really different. And I was really scared to like, share with anybody. And so I didn't make, I didn't make a lot of friends. And I was really uh, you know, like reserved. Uh, I, gr I did graduate high school. And when I was 18, I was working in an apartment store here in Memphis during Christmas and I actually stole some stuff, uh, and I got caught. I uh, was arrested. My dad had to come bail me out of jail. It was a very shameful experience for my family uh, because they were still attending the church where I had grew up, and they, they knew it. Everybody knew us, and so it was very embarrassing for my family, um, and, and, and my, my parents have a lot of people that live around here that it was very embarrassing for us, but I I was in school at UT Knoxville, so I left Memphis and I went back to Knoxville. But I did, before I left, I, was, I told him, I said, you know, I'm gay and I'm going to live as a gay man because I'm just assuming this is my identity because I don't really know how else to live, you know. And so um, I went to Knoxville. Um, I graduated finally. Uh, and then I applied to law school here and I moved back to Memphis in law school. And the company that I worked for when I was in law school was a restaurant uh, company and they actually paid for me to go to law school. And um, while I was working at the restaurant, we were supposed to pay like half price for the food that we ate. And I did sometimes, but there were a lot of times that I stole from them and I didn't pay. And my justification was, well, I'm underpaid and overworked and, you know, they, I, they owe it to me. 
And also during that time, my dad, um, he's a beekeeper. Uh, and uh, he was back then. He's still in the honey business. And uh, I asked him, I said, Dad, will you give me some honey so that I can sell it at the restaurant? I think it would go real well with the food. And he was like, sure. And so uh, I, one day, though, when I was giving him back the money that uh, from the stuff that I sold, I kept $20 of it. And, you know, I've told people this story, and they were like, what's the big deal over $20? And at the time, I felt that way, too. But hold that thought. More about that later. So um, I graduated law school, started working in the legal field, and I discovered uh, about this job that I thought, I would really like that job. It would give me security. It would give me, uh, you know, I can make more money. So I started applying for it in 2007. And in 2011, I finally got the job, but I had to, it was with the federal government, and I had to go to Washington, D.C. And so I was in uh, training at this job, and I was in Falls Church, Virginia, and uh, I had a real sharp pain in my chest. And uh, they took me to the hospital, and the CAT scan showed I had a blood clot in my lung. And uh, for those of you in the medical profession, you know how severe that is, and some of you probably not in the medical profession. Um, so they gave me a shot of morphine, and when I woke up the next morning, uh, the doctor was doing his rounds, and he came around, and he said, well, he said, we think you're going to make it now. He said, you've got about a 90% chance of making it now. And I was just shocked. I mean, I had no idea that I had been that near death. I didn't even really know what, a, you know, what it was. And uh, later on, um, it was either the next morning or the following morning, my shot ran out, and when your pain medication runs out and you, you have that, I mean, it's unbearable. It's, it's awful. And I kept mashing the button for the nurse to come, and uh, they were having a shift change, and so nobody came. And I remember thinking this. I thought, eventually somebody's going to come and help me. But if I die and I go to hell, nobody's going to help me down there. There won't be any mercy. And I was so scared. I was so scared. And uh, so eventually somebody did come and give me a shot, and I don't know if it was that day or the next day, but I woke up. I know it was on a Wednesday. I woke up, and uh, the TV was on. I don't know how the TV was on. I don't remember cutting the TV on. I certainly don't remember putting it on the channel, but there was a televangelist on TV. And uh, he said, we should fear the Lord, not just because he can put you into hell, which is what I'd been thinking of the day before, not just because he can put you into hell, but because he's your friend. And you don't want to hurt his feelings. And I had never heard that. I had never had, you know, nobody had ever, I never had thought of God as like being my friend, you know. So I was really overcome and I was really sad and there in the bed. And I was, you know, I was still under the influence of the drugs. But I just prayed a prayer and I said, God, you know, uh, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings. But, you know, if you'll help me get well when I get out of here, I promise I will pursue a relationship with you. I have not done it. And I know it's wrong, but if you'll just get me out of here, I promise I will. So I did get better. And that Sunday, I went to the chapel in the hospital before they released me. And even though I was glad to be well, I was scared. I, I mean, I, I, was, I, I just went in there and I said, God, I, I'm glad I'm better, but I don't know how I'm going to keep my promise. I don't, I've never lived right. I've never done the right thing. I've stolen. I've, you know, I, I, I've done all kinds of stuff. And I've just lived, I haven't tried to even pursue a relationship with you. I've not prayed. I've not even tried. Um, I said, but will you help me? Will you help me? So I flew home, which at that time was in Missouri. I started reading the Bible every day. I've read the Bible every day since then. Uh, 
I started attending a church that was across the street from me. I knew that I needed to go to church, so I walked to church. Uh, I got involved in the men's uh, uh, small group. Talk about awkward. I hadn't been in church in 30 years. I didn't know who these people were, but they opened their group to me, and they loved me. And uh, uh, I also found out about Celebrate Recovery at that time through our church and through some other sources. I found out about Celebrate Recovery, so that's how I found out. with Celebrate Recovery, there's this uh, step class, and uh, I think you even referenced it a while ago. T- tell us a little bit more about that and your participation in the step class aspect of Celebrate Recovery. Sure. Well, uh, two, just as a disclosure, the material that I presented today is from Pastor Rick Warren's sermon series uh, <clears throat> that was designed for Celebrate Recovery. He's a pastor out Saddleback Church in California. Uh, but the Celebrate Recovery program is a Christ-centered program that allows people, with regardless of what your hurt is, um, you know, you, you may have been molested, and it's something that is, you know, you're just continually thinking about it, or you've hurt somebody, and you, you just think God can't forgive you, or you've got an eating disorder or a gambling dis- addiction. Uh, there were people in my that I went with who were on probation, and they had been in prison for molesting children. Uh, just whatever the problem is. There were people who were drug addicts, people who were alcoholics. And like I say, not everybody necessarily needs a recovery program, but I really did because I didn't know how to live. I was just like, God, I promise you I'm going to search after you, but I didn't know how to pursue the Lord. You know, I needed some, I needed some structure. I needed some instruction. So you, I attended Celebrate Recovery on Monday nights, and I met a godly man who promised that he, he offered to be my sponsor to take me through the steps. And there's a step class that you go through where you go through the steps. And it's not a self-help program. It's, it's surrendering to Jesus at each step. And once you've done one step, then you can go on to the next step and, and progressively so. And the step class and Celebrate Recovery didn't heal me, but, but Jesus used that, that environment to heal me. Well, you just, you just shared specifically about the principle of relationship and relationship issues, that of offering forgiveness. Again, you didn't share that just from, um, from concept or learning, you, and, and you've already referenced some of your journey about that. Is there, is there any specific stories that come to mind that you would want to share with us about that offering forgiveness sure. relationship? When I got to the relationship step in my, in my, my process, uh, I had a big list of people, uh, not so much that had hurt me, but people that I had harmed. And uh, I had to sit down and make the list. And uh, it, was, uh, it was really hard to face up to a lot of the stuff that I had done. But, you know, with regard to the men that I had been intimate with, uh, I had moved away. I, I never lived where I was living then. I didn't know a lot of them, I, to be honest, I know I'm, maybe I shouldn't say this, but I didn't know who they were when I was with them. And there were a lot of them that I did know them, but later on I'd moved away and I didn't know how to contact them. So I kind of fell into that last part where it says you contact them if it's possible. Uh, and I, there was no way really that I could. So I had to rely on God's forgiveness and me forgiving myself. Um, with regard to the stuff that I stole from the department store when I was 18 and I was living here, during this process, I was actually reading in Proverbs, and I came across Proverbs 6.31 one day, and it says, if a man steals something, 
and he gets caught while he's doing it, he will repay seven times what he stole or what he tried to steal. And when I read that verse, I thought, that's me. You know, I, I, I got caught. So I, I wrote a letter to the department store, from, and I said, 30 years ago, I worked for you. And I was convicted, and I was, I was put on probation, and I, I have a clean record now, but I took this from you, and I've had an encounter with Jesus. And the scripture says that if I take something, I've got to repay seven times what I tried to take because I got caught. So I estimated what it was that I took, multiplied it by seven, and I sent him a check and sent him a letter. Um, the uh, company that I worked for in law school where I was eating the food and not paying for it, uh, I researched I, the man that owned that company that paid for my law school education. He didn't own the restaurant anymore. So I had to research and find out where he was living. And he owned some other restaurants. So uh, I added up how much I thought that I had uh, taken over the period of time that I worked for him. And literally, this, is, this literally happened to me. I was going to read my Bible. I wasn't reading in Numbers. I was reading in Psalms and Proverbs. But my, my Bible fell open to Numbers chapter 5. And I really felt like the Holy Spirit said, read that. And so I didn't try to flip to anywhere else. I started reading Numbers chapter 5. And in verse 6, it says that if you take something that doesn't belong to you, you're to return it plus 20% more or a fifth part thereof. And it's not, that doesn't, that's not for people who've been caught. That's just for people who are trying to make amends. And I, I believe that was God. I believe it, I believe it fell open, and he, and he told me to read it. So I wrote him a letter, and I said, uh, this is what I did, and I'm sorry, and I know you trusted me. And see, so he trusted me. He put me in a position of trust, paid for my school. I felt like I was really sorry, uh, a sorry person. And I didn't want to, you know, write a letter, but it's like I knew I had to, I knew I had to get right. And I not only had to uh, do the time, that the, uh, do what the court told me to, but I also, because I had stolen from him, I had to make it right with him. So I, I had the ability to do it. So I, I wrote him a check and sent him the money. He actually sent me a nice letter back and said that he was donating the proceeds of what I gave him to a charity that fed people who needed, who needed food. Uh, the last amend that I'll, I'll tell you about is the one that I made to my dad. And it was the least money. Uh, it was only $20, but it was the hardest one that I had to do. Uh, you know, my dad is a Christian man, and he always supported me and supported our family, and I know he loved me. And even when I wasn't doing right, he came and bailed me out of jail. And I couldn't even begin to tell you all the stuff that he did for me growing up, he and my mother. Uh, my mother passed away uh, a couple of years ago, but... Uh, I was actually reading in Proverbs again and again during this period and had forgotten really that I'd even taken the money. I didn't remember. And I was reading in Proverbs 28, verse 24, and this is what it says. If a man steals from his mother or his father and does not think that it is wrong, the same is the companion of the destroyer. And as soon as I read that verse, I thought, I need to make amends. I remembered that I'd taken something from my dad all those years ago, and I was like, I gotta, I've got to contact him. And I didn't want to because I was afraid that in doing that, I didn't want to hurt him was basically it, and I was so ashamed. And at this point in my life, uh, I'd put him through so much to begin with, and I knew that he'd been like one of those in Isaiah that had mourned for me, and I didn't want to cause him any more 
cause for that. But I remembered Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, when he cheated people out of their taxes, he told Jesus, he said, I'm going to repay back four times what I stole. And Jesus said, this day has salvation come to this house. You are a son of Abraham. And I thought, that's what I want to be. So I wrote my dad a check for $80, and I sent it in the two-day mail. And the next morning, I worked up the nerve to call it. And when you're making amends, you don't call at midnight unless the person is up at midnight. You don't call them during the middle of the day when they're at work. You try to call at a time, or you go by and see them when it's convenient for them. Well, my dad's like me. He's an early morning person. So I, I worked up my courage, and it was really hard. And I called him, and it was about, uh, it was probably about at 7 o'clock. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm on my way to the bee yards in Arkansas. I'm crossing the bridge now. And I said, well, I've got something to tell you. He said, what is it? So I told him that I had stolen from him, that I had kept back $20. And I was so ashamed. Uh, but he told me, he said, son, it's not anything that you should worry about. And I said, well, the money's yours. I owe it to you. You take and do what you want to do with it. And I invited my dad here today. I wasn't sure if he was going to come, but he is here. And he's sitting back there. And, Dad, I love you very much. That's uh, it was a very it was a very healing process for me because once you have to face people that you've been sorry to, once you have to admit how sorry you've been, I mean that you were s such an awful person to do what you did, that you violated trust, you don't ever want to do it again. Once you once you have to go make amends to somebody, you don't ever want to steal anything again. You don't ever want to hurt somebody again. And so I think it was really good for me to go through that. Your transparency and sharing has been such an incredible gift for all of us. But Rob, you, you, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, in, in, this, in this group, there, there are no doubt people who are struggling with relationships, even now. Maybe, maybe they do need to go and, and ask for forgiveness or offer forgiveness. Um, what encouragement? What, how would you encourage us in that in that regard as we've listened to you we've heard you share what would be your encouragement well my encouragement would be that if you have a recurring hurt if you have a habit if you struggle with some addiction like I say not everybody does we all need to be sanctified but not everybody struggles with some hurt but if you've been trying and trying and trying and it's just not working for you I would encourage you to consider Celebrate Recovery as an option where um, you can be in the program because Jesus used it to help me. And I can tell you that there is, there is forgiveness and there is also freedom. I have not had relations with another man since September 2011. And I have not stolen anything since 2011. And I have... Uh, that doesn't make me a good person. The only thing that's good in me is Jesus. And uh, I will just share, too, uh, I started to bring my, my, my grandmother's Bible with me. I had it with me. And I was struggling for a long time 
when I was in the hospital. You know, I told you in the hospital, I, I was like, how am I going to do this, God? What do I have to do to change? What, what, what do you, you know, how, how am I going to live? And I remember reading in Psalms 138. And we sang songs today about the name of the Lord is great. Y'all remember that song? Well, there's a verse that I came across in Psalms 138, and it says, Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. And when I read that, I thought, that is really awesome because the God is the God, the great I am, the Lord God Almighty. He's the Lord of hosts. But what it was saying is that what's in this book, the words that are in this book are magnified above even his own name. And then I turned the page in my grandmother's Bible and I read this verse. And again, I was struggling with, well, what do I have to do? How do I have to change? What am I going to do? And this was the verse that I read. It's Psalms 138, verse 8, and it says, The Lord will perfect that which concerns you. And when I read that, then I understood that there wasn't anything that I could do other than to surrender to to the Lord and ask Him to help me. And we have in our serenity prayer at Celebrate Recovery, it says that we trust that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. And Jesus was telling me, I'm going to perfect you. You're not going to do it, Rob. There's not anything you can do. Trust in me. And he already told me on the page before that he magnified his word above all his name. So that meant I needed to pay attention to that. And I have my marker in my grandmother's Bible at home. And it is marked to that verse, and it has been there, and that is my life verse. The Lord will perfect me, and it's a process. It's a daily process. So I would just encourage anybody that's struggling. You may not need a program, but if you do, we meet here on Friday nights at 630, and we'd love to have you. And if you don't want to come to our Celebrate Recovery, there's Celebrate Recoveries all over the city, and I'd encourage you to get involved in one. If you're struggling with whatever it is, If you feel like that you need help with it, if you need support, uh, don't let your pride get in the way because God gives grace to people who are humble. And reaching out is the proof that you are humble. If you're reaching out, if you'll draw near to the Lord, he'll draw near to you. Wow. Aren't you grateful for Rob? Rob, wait a minute. Rob, <laughs> well, we're going to pray for him anyway. Oh. <laughs> you can tell I'm not one of the pastors here. <laughs> Rob, I want, us, I want us to pray for you. And then in your heart, I know, as we pray for you, you want these folks to respond to the stirring of the Spirit in their lives. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's pray. Father, what what such an incredible gift you have given us in in, in salvation for our sin and grace to live our life in you. And you you have in such an incredible way demonstrated that through the teaching and the story that Rob has shared of his own life. And Lord... We know that that is your heart and desire for each and every one of us. And as he's reminded us, because of those of us who are already in you, we are being transformed to be like you. And 
that is our recovery, and we need to be open to you for that. And we thank you for Rob's leadership in that and his continued example of that for us. And we just give this time to you to draw others to yourself. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Blessed are those who know that they are spiritually poor. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are those whose greatest desire is to do what God requires. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they do what God requires.